Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 19, John chapter 19, verse 28 to 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, everybody say accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. For the past several weeks, we've been looking at the last sayings of Jesus. And man, I'm, I don't know about you, but it's really, it's really spoken to my heart so deeply as I have I've kind of gone to the foot of the cross every week and I've been studying the last sayings of Jesus and Jesus said some things that changed the world, that changed history. There's seven sayings that Jesus said, and they're powerful sayings. And this morning, as we, we are celebrating Palm Sunday, and we're celebrating the day in which Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they took their palm branches, and they laid it at the feet of Jesus. You see, they wanted a king. They wanted a mighty warrior. They wanted a savior. They wanted a Messiah who would overthrow Rome and set up his earthly kingdom. And the truth is, after all, they were actually expecting an earthly Messiah. And they really weren't too far off in the sense that in the Old Testament, we know in the Jewish writings that the Jewish writing speaks about an earthly Messiah who's going to set up his reign and his kingdom. They just couldn't see that the Messiah would actually come twice, once as a suffering Messiah, and secondly, as a reigning Messiah. And so they're thinking of Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And they shall call him wonderful. They shall call him mighty God. They, they shall call him the Savior, the Messiah. And the Bible says the government's will rest upon his shoulder because he's actually going to come riding on a white horse and he's going to come as a victor. And so the, the Jews are thinking of a victorious Savior, a victorious Messiah. And again, they're not off because that's what the Bible talks about, a reigning Messiah. But what they had missed is that Isaiah talks about a suffering Messiah as well. And so now Jesus, instead of coming in on a white horse, he comes on a donkey, which is in a lot of ways an indication of a king coming into a city. But he comes, the Bible says, humbly riding on a donkey. And they begin to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were ready for a king. They were ready for a king that would reign and rule on his earthly throne here on earth. But instead, Jesus goes into the temple and he, and he overturns the tables of the money changers and, and he begins to speak words of rebuke and, and, and judgment over them because of what they were doing. They were taking advantage of the people. And now Jesus is in the upper room and, 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 and he, he's celebrating the Passover with his disciples and and he lifts up the cup and he says, this is my blood that is poured out for you. And he's speaking about his death. He's not speaking about overthrowing the Roman government, but he's speaking about his death. This is my body 
that is going to be broken for you. And then he goes into the garden of Gethsemane and he knows it's a cup of suffering. And he says, Father, if there's any other way, Lord, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then they arrest Jesus and they take him to trial and they mock him and they beat him and they, they turn him over to Pilate and they mock and they beat him. And then they nail his hands and, their, and his feet to the cross. And now this Messiah who is supposed to be in the eyes of the people, a maybe a reigning Messiah now, is defeated as they think on the cross, and they shout up to them as some of them were hoping maybe, possibly, he still can be the Messiah. He can shout and God will deliver him. He'll come off the cross and the Romans will be amazed at what happens. He'll overthrow. But the rest of them were saying, you saved other people, but you cannot save yourself. If you really are the Messiah, come down from that cross and save yourself. But instead, Jesus, he utters words of forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He utters words of pardon. Today, you will be be with me in paradise. He utters words of protection. Hey, this is my mother, John. Take care of her. He utters words of desperation. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He utters a word of thirst. I thirst. He has to utter that word. Why? Because he's about to utter the greatest three words that this world has ever heard. You see, in the English, it's three words. It is finished. But in the Greek, it's one word, to telestai, to telestai. And when Jesus said those words, to telestai, he was actually saying something so powerful. He was actually saying something so incredibly prophetic. He was saying something that if we can really listen to those words, to telestai, wow. He spends 12 hours on the cross or 12 hours being persecuted and six hours he's on the cross. And we have heard for the last six weeks, we've heard words of suffering. We've, we've heard words of anguish. We've, we've, we've heard the cries. We've heard the cries of the people come down from that cross. We've heard the cries of Jesus. We've listened to the prayers of intercession and the prayers of forgiveness. And when Jesus cries out, it is finished, we seem to feel like it's a relief. Why? Because now Jesus is ending his suffering. He's finishing all of his pain, all of the mockery and all of the agony is now coming to the end. And now we feel in defeat, in death, in utter resolve. It's finally over and Jesus is about to die. But my friend, make no mistake. These words that Jesus, that Jesus uttered, it is finished. They're not words of defeat. They're not words of a dying, discouraged man. They're not words of a disillusioned, almost dead man. But they're actually a war cry, a victorious war cry from a victorious war, warrior who says, I have finished my tour of duty. I went to the war zone with shock and awe, and I completed the mission that my father gave me. And with swift, swift 
swift, absolute judgment and strategic focus and finality. Jesus, when he declares these words, it is finished. He was making an incredible statement that forever sealed the devil's defeat and makes it possible for you and I to have everlasting life. And the order was full and the order was powerful. When Jesus said to Telestai, he was saying, I conquered the devil. I conquered death. I conquered sin. I conquered the grave. And now my, my mission is complete. And so now I want you to know you and I can have eternal life. Somebody say, hallelujah. I love what A.W. Pink said. It is finished is but one word in the original. Yet in that word is wrapped up the gospel of God. All assurance and the sum of all glory. I've been listening to Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon is one of the greatest preachers. One of the greatest orators of modern or, or ancient and, and modern time. If you want to look at how old the the, the church really is. In 1800s, Charles Spurgeon was a, they called him a silver-tongued preacher. And, and you need to listen. Go online and listen to Charles Spurgeon. No, don't go online and listen to Charles Spurgeon, because if you do, you'll never come back to listen to me. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon says this about it is finished. An ocean of meaning in a drop of language, a mere drop, for that is all that we can call one word to tell us die. Yet it would need all the other words that ever was spoken or ever can be spoken to explain this one word. It is altogether immeasurable, finished, accomplished. It was a, a conqueror's cry. It was uttered with a loud voice. There is nothing of anguish about it. There is no wailing in it. There is no crying of a, a desperate man who is dying. But is one who is completely, tremendously victorious. And he cries it out right before he says to his father, into thy hands do I commit my spirit. Why? Because when he said it is finished, what he was saying is, is my mission has been accomplished. You see, the word to telestai actually means to bring to completion, to finish what is started. To fully accomplish a task, to completely accomplish a mission, to fully finish a project. When somebody says to Telestai, they were actually celebrating something that they started and they finished. Someone who started a building and, la and laid the last block would say, to Telestai. Someone who, who climbed the high mountain and got up to the summit of the mountain. They would look up into the air and they would say, dun, 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 dun. Yo, Adrian! To tell us, die. It is finished. For somebody who got their master's degree would say, Man, I worked so hard and I studied so hard, but it is finished. To tell us, die. The mission that I set out to accomplish has been finished. Someone who endures great suffering and now that they've passed through the valley of the shadow of death and they've, they've, they've received their healing in their body, they can cry out with victory. My suffering is finished. It's accomplished. I've gone through the valley of the shadow of death, but now I'm on the other side and it is finished. Someone who begins a marathon or triathlon, 
Someone who starts out and when they cross over the finish line, they scream to tell us die. It is complete. It is finished. And when Jesus cried in a loud voice, it is finished. He didn't cry in defeat. He cried in absolute victory. Because Jesus' entire life was consumed with one thing. His entire life was consumed by doing the will of his father. He said, I have come to do the will of my father. He said, my food is to obey God and do his will. And what was Jesus' mission? I know some people would say Jesus came to this earth to show mankind how to be loving. That's true in some ways. Jesus came to this earth so that he can show people how to be compassionate. That's true in some respects. But it goes far, far deeper than that. See, Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus said, I've come. My mission is to destroy the work of the evil one. My mission is to to come and set the captive free. Jesus' mission was clear. His mission was to live on this earth, to make God known, to make the love of God known. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His mission was so that you and I can understand that he and the Father were one. But but make no mistake, his mission would have never, ever been complete unless he went to the cross and he died for your sins and my sins. His mission would have never been complete until he could say, to Telestai, I did what God sent me to do. I have drank the cup of suffering and now it is finished. To Telestai. Powerful. But you see, we can't do this in our own strength. But God says, Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. No man could ever do this. No man could ever follow the law. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, he was the only man who obeyed all of the law. He fulfilled all of the law. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I actually came to fulfill the law. That in him, the law was fulfilled. Why? Because he was the only man who actually lived a sinless life. But he wasn't just a man. He was the God man. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became flesh. And the word obeyed all of the law. Every single commandment. Every Levitical law. Everything. Jesus obeyed every single one of them. Why? Because he came to do the will of the Father. But the will of the Father was that not only would he obey the law. But that he would become a curse on the tree. He would take your sins and my sins. And for the last six weeks. We have come to the foot of the cross and we have heard the words of Jesus. We've heard the cries of Jesus. We've seen the suffering of Jesus. But here on Palm Sunday, we're here to celebrate the victory of Jesus. We're here to celebrate that he completed his mission. Thank God that Jesus finished the work that he began so you and I could have eternal life. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord a shout of glory. Come on, somebody. Give him praise today. I said, give him praise today. Hallelujah. He took on everything. Not only did he have to obey the law, but he had to come against Satan. And Satan had to throw everything he could at Jesus. When Jesus cried to tell us, it is finished, he was saying, devil, you threw everything you could. You threw every punch at me. 
Devil, you tried everything possible to get me to give up, to give in, to throw in the towel, to bow before you so that I could have the kingdoms of this world. For 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says that that Jesus was in the desert. He was in the wilderness and he was being tempted of the devil, just like we're tempted in all ways. He was tempted sexually in all ways. He was tempted relationally. He was tempted emotionally. He was tempted with pride. He was tempted with, with, with jealousy. He was tempted with anger, unforgiveness. But every time the devil threw a punch at him, Jesus was victorious. Jesus obeyed the Father completely and when Jesus said it is finished he was saying whatever I start whatever I begin whatever I determine to accomplish whatever I determine to complete whatever God tells me to do whatever I begin whatever work I begin whatever promise God gives me and whatever promise I make whatever I start I finish Listen to me, when Jesus uttered these words, he was saying to you and I, if I started a work in you, I will bring it to completion. Because that's what God does. He finishes what he begins. If I predestined you, if I came and if I lived and I conquered and I went all the way to the finish line, And I withstood. I never backed down. I never gave in. I never gave up. I finished what I started. Then I will finish the work that I began inside of you. Just think, if Jesus suffered so much and conquered, what can stop him today from completing the work that he began inside of you today? Wow. Those three words in English, that one word in Greek, to telestai. God will never leave you. God will never leave you in the middle of a battle. He'll never leave you half done. He'll never leave you half baked. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look half baked, but God's going to finish the work that he started in you. And while he was hanging on the cross, he was actually telling the devil, devil, you tried everything you could. You tried to tempt me. You tried to deceive me. You tried to brutalize me. You even tried to get me to curse God. But guess what? I finished my course. I completed my mission. I accomplished my task. And now you can't stop me any longer. Hallelujah. You can't even stop my church from going forward. As the Bible says, I've given the keys of the kingdom to you. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples. Let me tell you, the devil can't stop the church. Hallelujah. Why? Because Jesus finished his mission. And now he's given the baton to you. And he said, run your race with perseverance. Looking into the author and finisher of your faith. Why? Because Jesus finished his work. You can begin your work. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But, but you know, people get discouraged. And now the writer of Hebrews, and I love the book of Hebrews. If you've never read the book of Hebrews, if you've never studied the The book of Hebrews is a powerful, powerful book. Hebrews was actually written to a group of Jewish believers. They were Jews who loved God. And they were praying for revelation. And and God gave them a revelation. And the gospel came. And they embraced the gospel. And here's the gospel. The gospel says that we can't be good in ourselves. We can't be righteous enough in ourselves. 
All of our works are like filthy rags before the Lord. There's none righteous, no, not one. And our sins have separated us from God. And, and so they heard the gospel message preached, beginning with Paul, the apostle, and the disciples. And they were told that they, they cannot embrace the law as a means by which they can get to heaven, as a means by which they can be righteous before God. And so now they embrace, listen to me, they embrace Christ crucified on the cross. They understand the atonement for their sins. But somewhere along the line, Judaizers came into the church. They crept into the church and they began to tell these Jewish believers that, yes, Jesus died for them, but they still have to follow the law. They still have to be circumcised. They still have to do all of the law of Moses to be justified. And so Paul the Apostle, he writes the book of Galatians. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who he was, he writes the book of Hebrews to what? To tell the Jewish believers, listen to me, if you started with Christ, you can't start now trying to be good on your own. And so now they're really being, they're, they're conflicted, not only that, but they're really being persecuted. Many of them are being thrown out of the temple, many of them are being thrown out of their homes and they're being persecuted. And while they're in the middle of this persecution, the writer of Hebrews says, don't stop, don't give up, don't quit, don't give in, don't give up what you've already attained to, and that is to receiving Christ as your Savior. You started with the gospel, you started by grace and grace alone, by faith and faith alone. Now, if you embrace circumcision as a means to be justified, if you embrace the law again as a means to be justified then you no longer can really enter into that salvation because salvation is only found in Christ alone and what he did on the cross, his finished work to telestai, his finished work on the cross. And so the writer of Hebrews says, now the point in what we are trying to say is this, we have a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. But when Christ, listen to me, offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. The writer of Hebrews tells them, now we're to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible tells us that he's gone into heaven and he's at the right hand of God with the angels and authorities and powers being now subjected to Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus suffered and he gave himself on the cross once and for all. That's so important. Why? Because we understand in the Old Testament, as we read the book of Leviticus, and you know, it's, it's, not, it's not always an easy book to read because there's all these laws. And when you're reading through the book of Leviticus, you're like, why did God make this law? And why did he make this law? And why did he do this? But there's one thing, if, if you look in the book of Leviticus chapter 16, you find that there is the atonement for sin that must happen through the high priest. And so here's what, here's what God tells the people in the Old Testament. Looking unto Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith. 
And we know that everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. Everything. And so God tells Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle. I want you to build a tabernacle so the people of God can can see the order of atonement. They can see that I'm a holy God and and that they, they just can't come into my presence without a sacrifice, without atonement for sin. And so the Bible says Moses commands the people to build this tabernacle according to its pattern. And if you notice about the tabernacle, that there's a, there's a labor. Before you go into the holy place, there's, there's a place for sacrifice. And where did that sacrifice come from? Well, we know in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, that they were cast out of the garden symbolically saying that when you disobey God, when you sin, you have to be separated from God. And now God gives Adam and Eve and, and their children a sacrificial system. He says, life is in the blood. And so when Cain and when Adam and when, when Cain's brother and Cain's brothers and brothers and, and children and so on and so on and so on, when they sin, the Bible says they have to bring a sacrifice to God. They have to bring a lamb or a goat to God. And they have to slaughter that goat. Why? They have to slaughter that lamb so that they can see there always has to be a payment for their sin. And so he sets up this sacrificial system right from the beginning. Genesis, right in the beginning. And all through the Old Testament, we see atonement for sin. Atonement for sin. Atonement for sin. The Jews call it now Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. One day in which the high priest would go behind the Holy of Holies and take the blood of of a goat and, and take that blood and, and pour it on the mercy seat. And so now we find Leviticus chapter 16. Now the tabernacle is made. There's the outer court. There's the inner court. There's the holy place. There's the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies, there is a, a mercy seat sim- symbolizing the very throne of God. It's, it's made out of acacia wood. It's overlaid with gold. And there are cherubim angels over the mercy seat. And, and the high priest once a year, Yom Kippur, once a year would go into the holy place behind the veil. And the veil symbolized separation from God that no one without a blood sacrifice could come into the very presence of God. And now the high priest, he goes through the greater, the Bible says Jesus went through the greater tabernacle. But here the high priest, the, the physical earthly high priest, he must go through the earthly tabernacle and he takes the blood of a goat and he pours it on the mercy seat. But there's another goat. It's called the scapegoat. It's the goat that they take. So the, so the high priest, he's got his hands now stained with blood. He's poured it upon the mercy seat. And now he declares to the nation of Israel, for this moment, you are forgiven nationally. The day of atonement, one day where the high priest, he brings the blood and he, and he pronounces over the people of Israel. Now you're forgiven of your sins nationally. But he takes his sin-stained, blood-stained hands 
And he takes another goat and he puts his hands on the goat, transferring the sins of all the people onto this goat. And then he takes this goat and he lets this goat go into the wilderness so that the goat can disappear so that they can see that there was a goat that died for their sins and there was another goat that took their sins away. And now Jesus is hanging on the cross. And when he said it is finished to Telestai, the Bible gives us a clearer picture of that. It takes us to heaven where Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes his blood and he pours it upon the, fir- the, 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 the mercy seat of God and he declares the world is now saved. It is finished. My mission has been accomplished. I came. I came to do the will of the Father and now I've died on the cross. And let me tell you, when you sit down, it means that you're finished with the work that you started. Hallelujah. And the Bible says, and then Jesus went to heaven and he sat down. Hallelujah. I said, he sat down and he finished his work once and for all he gave us eternal life he sat down at the right hand of the father he's not working for your salvation any longer why because he already did it he finished the work come on somebody I said come on somebody hallelujah he sat down and finished the work Woo! And when he said to Telestai, he looked at the devil in his face and he translated those words, not in Greek, not in English, not in Aramaic. He translated those words to the devil. Devil, I won. I win. I win. You threw everything you could at me, but I one. You thought I wasn't going to finish my work, but I won. And now I sit down. No more boxing in the ring. No more fighting. No more trying. It's done. It is finished. But that word to Telestai has, a, has an, in, in, an even greater meaning. So, so number one, it means my, my mission has been accomplished, but it also means paid in full. That's what the word to tell us I means. And so, so if you owed a debt that you could not pay, they would put you in what was called debtor's prison. So if you owed a debt, if you were a father and you had a debt and you couldn't pay it, they'd put you and your family in prison. They'd put your kids in prison. They'd put everybody in prison whole family. And here's the problem. You couldn't get out of prison until you paid it in full. Now, here's the problem. How are you going to pay off your debt if you're in prison and you can't go to work? So now you're stuck unless someone comes and pays your debt for you. So if somebody comes and pays your debt for you. Come on, come on over here, young, young man. You, you're looking good today. Give this young man a big hand. Don't he look good? Man, come on. Look at him. Check him out with a little scar hanging out there. With the Woo, you're looking bad, dude. So, he, so he's in prison, right? But see, this gentleman right here, come on over here. Come on over here. Oh, you're looking good too, man. Check you out, baby. Wow. Can you take me shopping one day? <laughs> He's, can you take me shopping? Sure. Will you pay? 
Sure. <laughs> so, so this brother, he's in prison. His children are in prison. He can't get out. But this brother is moving with compassion, and he goes to the prison, and he pays in full for this brother to get out. So now when he is released, they give him a document. And stamped on the document is to Telestai, paid in full. So let me encourage you today. Because some of you have been struggling with guilt and condemnation. Some of you feel like you're just not good enough to get yourself to heaven. Some of you keep on falling into the same sin. Some of you struggle and you feel like God doesn't love you. I want you to know that when Jesus came, he went to the prison that you were in. And he went to the prison guard. And by his blood on the cross, he tetelestied. He paid for your sins in full. Hallelujah. And the next time... The devil wants to come and tell you that you're still under condemnation. That some of the things that you did in the past, God remembers. And as a result of that, you should still feel guilty. The Bible says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The next time the devil, listen to me, listen to me, look at me. The next time the devil tries to condemn you, show him the receipt. And the receipt, my friend, is the cross. The cross is your, the, your receipt that says, Tetelestai paid in full. Come on, say it with me. Paid in full. My sins have been paid in full. My future has been paid in full. My past has been paid in full. My struggles, my temptations, my fear, my anxiety, my sickness, my disease, my struggles have been paid in full. Come on, somebody stand to your feet and give the Lord a clap offering right now. Say, paid in full, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Paid in full. Paid in full. Thank you, Father God. You can be seated. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up right here, but I got to tell you. There's something that goes even deeper than that. That when Jesus said, it is finished, to tell us die, he was also saying, God knows what he's doing. Have you ever really wondered, does God really know what he's doing? When you're going through a difficult time in your life, when the doctor tells you you've got cancer, when your husband or your wife says she's leaving, he's leaving, when your kids are strung out on drugs, when you've got a, a mountain of debt, when you trusted God and you believed that God was going to be faithful to you, and now you're in the middle of an ugly, ugly situation. You kind of start to wonder, does God really know what he's doing? When I was a little kid, my mom used to drive us somewhere. It was a long journey. and say, are we there yet? Man, I hope she knows where she's going. Sometimes she would drive us through some bad neighborhoods, and we'd roll up the windows. Back then, we had to roll up the windows. You know what I'm talking about? 
We locked the car doors. I said, Ma, do you know where you're going? Do you know what you're doing? Because sometimes we just don't want, we wonder, does God really know what he's doing? But when Jesus said to Telestai, it is finished, he was saying to you and I, God knows exactly what he's doing. Did you ever watch an artist? I mean, somebody who's just this incredible artist. And did you ever watch an artist? They, they call it splat paint, splat paint. So they take paint, and they literally take red paint, and they'll throw it on a canvas. And then they'll take gray paint, or blue, and they'll throw it on a canvas. And you're thinking, to yourself, what are they doing? They're crazy. They're lunatics. What are they doing? And at that point, it looks so ugly. It just looks like, it looks like a mess. And I wonder, Jesus' disciples, when, when he was looking at Jesus, when they were looking at Jesus hanging on the cross, and looking at this mess, he looks like a mess. Blotches of blood everywhere. Blood everywhere. It's a mess. They're looking at their, their Savior, and it looks like an absolute mess. And how in the world are you going to turn something beautiful into this ugly, grotesque mess on the cross? Sometimes we think the same thing about our lives. But see, God, he has a way of turning ugly into beautiful. God has a way of turning grotesque into a masterpiece. Take a look at this. At the start, he was there. 